thank you guys for singing and just it's it's a great it's a great song to sing. Come rejoice now, oh my soul. It is not the person whose soul is already happy and rejoicing needs to be told that. It is the one who is walking through difficult times, who is suffering and struggling, that we sometimes need to remind ourselves, come on, rejoice now, oh my soul. Not because we have to, but because of the hope that we have, and that hope is in Jesus. And we're going to see that in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. If you've not been here for um, the last number of weeks, we've been going through the book of Romans chapters 1 to 4 so far, and now we're looking at chapter 5, and we'll read that in just a moment. But my question to you is, if you're a Christian here today, or if you're looking into Christianity for the first time, Paul has this, it's almost his thesis of the book of Romans, he also wants to tell us that he is proud of of the good news of the gospel. He says he is unashamed, he's eager to share the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came and died and rose again. But let me ask you a question. What is it about being a Christian that is better in the day-to-day life? What is it that is better to be a Christian daily that makes it good news that Paul is unashamed about? Because in some ways we could say that what happens when we become a Christian is that we're going to be saved when we die, so the end is certain. Or that right now our sins are forgiven. But is there anything in the day-to-day life that is better because of what Jesus has done and the faith that we have? I'm going to let that question hang in the air as we just get a quick recap of our verses um, of Romans up until now. And I've got some slides up on um, the screen, just pictures to help us because pictures are always helpful. And the, the argument that we've had so far is from Paul is that the gospel is good news. 1 verse 15, 16 and 17, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome because I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. That is his big claim. And from chapter 1 through to 4 is this big, long argument that he's making. And we're jumping in at chapter 5, so it's helpful to see this. And the reason that it's good news is because there's a problem. Every single one of us we saw is under wrath, is punished, is to be punished. We're all guilty before this God because we suppress the truth about him. So it is good news because there's a big problem. And what we've seen over the last number of weeks in chapters 3 and 4 is that though we are all guilty, Jesus takes our place. The good news, yeah, two slides on, keep going. They were all guilty, the next one. There we go, even you, even all of us are all guilty. And the next slide is the reason that it is good news is because Jesus takes our place. Sorry, Tim, it's my fault, not yours. The slides are not as helpful as my, well, the notes are less helpful than the slides. Romans 3.23 tells us all of us fall short and are guilty, but we're justified freely by the grace through Jesus, the, the grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And I'm saying all this because it builds up an argument. And the last two verses of the section before are these. They're up on the screen there if you can see them. He's talking about Abraham and how he was counted as righteous, how Jesus had taken his place, even though he did not know who he was. And then he says to us, it is ours too. It will be counted to us who believe in Jesus, who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up 
for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And the reason for this big long spiel just before we jump into chapter 5 is because chapter 5 is a turning point in the book. It moves from almost what is theoretical, that is true, what has happened in the past, to how we practically live out that life as a Christian. The first half is all about faith. The second half is how we live out that faith. The faith that makes us alive and then the faith that we live out. If you love numbers, look at this. Not the book, the numbers in uh, 1 to 4. So chapters 1 to 4, faith is mentioned 24 times. Life is mentioned, uh, and um, in chapters 5 to 8, it is mentioned two times. So in the first four chapters, the faith, that he's talking about is mentioned 24 times. In chapters 5 to 8, what we're going to look at, it is mentioned twice. And the reverse is true of the word life and live. Chapters 1 to 4, life and live is mentioned three times. And then in chapters 5 to 8, it is mentioned 22 times. So the first four chapters of the book, is, his argument is, this is good news and this is how you become alive and you're righteous before God. And what we're going to look at today is that day-to-day living of how we live as Christians, or what is the good news that we live out in our day-to-day lives. So now that I've kind of done this big spiel before we get here, this might be just a way of me shortening my sermon so you think it's two parts. But look, have a look at the verses and we'll follow through chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. And just look at how it starts Because I've said it changes, but look at this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. In that one line he says, because of chapters 1 to 4, let's look at how we're meant to live out this life. So let's follow along with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. They're wonderful verses, right? They're just just of the hope that we have as Christians. I hope as as we walk through that, you kind of see the tenses, the, the past, present, and future things that are true for us. I think that's what Paul is trying to get us and join these three things up. The past is true of us, which makes the present more livable because of the hope and the future that we have. And that's essentially how the kind of the outline of my talk today is going to be. What difference, or the question is, is the good life? Is this really 
the good life, or what makes the Christian life better day to day. It is better day to day because we can rejoice even in the suffering because of God's love for us. There are the three parts that we're going to look at just now, but let me just start with just a really weak illustration that I want to talk about my holiday with my family, who we went away to Mallorca two weeks ago, and it was utterly fantastic. And it was great, and I just think of that past, present, and future picture. What happens in the, what happened on holiday is we booked our holiday, we got up really early in the morning, we, we drove to um, the airport, we got on the plane, and we have an 18-month, as you heard, called Maya, who doesn't like sitting for more than about 13 seconds, so sitting on a two-and-a-half-hour flight was always going to be a challenge. And it was hard while we were on the plane. It was really, really difficult. But what kept us going was the thought of lying on a beach in the sun, drinking some sangria at the end. That, would be, that was kind of the hope that we had. So the reason we could get through it was because of what happens at the end. But actually, and it's a weak illustration because it doesn't fully cover what's going on. Because if you look at verse 3 of this, it says, we rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, that's odd, Right? Am I really going to rejoice in Maya screaming and pulling at the person next to me the entire time on the plane? It's very odd. But let's have a look and see how that works out. Because We'll just go through the verses. Paul begins by saying, by laying out what justified means, being righteous before God, what it actually means for us as Christians. And he says, therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are three things in these two verses that he says. We have peace with God. We were at one point warring against this God. We were suppressing the truth. We were at one point deserving and living through the wrath of God. That's what Romans 1 taught us. We were experiencing chasing after those meaningless idols under God's wrath. But now... We are in loving relationship with him. We have peace with him. And he carries on verse 2. It's not just that we have peace, but we are standing in grace. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's a really weird way of putting it, is it not? Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access to a place called grace. Normally grace is, is something done to us or it is an object, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But here the image is like in the Old Testament where a priest would stand before God. We have access to stand in his presence because of what Jesus has done. And it just, just like a wee side, like, do you notice how definitive these things are? There is nothing that we can do that would surprise God and we would leave his peace or be out of his grace. These are things that have been done and are true of us definitively. That will never change. God does not freak out when we've done something wrong. He will not stop us as we're about to enter the kingdom and think, what are you doing here? How did you get this far? They're definitive things that are true for us as someone who stands righteous before God. And then the third thing in these first verses is we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The glory that Romans has spoken about elsewhere that we fall short of in God's glory. The glory that we exchange for the, the idols that we made in chapter 1. 
the glory that will be revealed to us at the end. And, and the idea of it is that we will share in God's glory. We stand in grace, we have peace with God, and we rejoice looking forward to the hope of the glory of God. They are wonderful truths. And that's what Paul kind of lays out at the start, and he says we should be joyful people. You know that Christians should be the most joyful people in Collington or Juniper Green or Curry. That doesn't mean the happiest, the smiliest, but there is something deep-seated within us that should be so joyful because we know where we're headed. Because of what has happened in the past affects our future. But it's not just our future it helps, it's our present. Because we rejoice, and this is the second point, we rejoice even in suffering. Have a look at verse 3. Verses 3 to 8 is the bit we're just going to focus on just now. And these verses are they're wonderful. These are the verses you want to stick on your fridge magnets. These are the ones you have on your coffee mugs. But seeing them in their context of what it is Paul is saying brings even more light, more glory to these verses. I'll read just from the back of verse 2 and I'll read on. We rejoice in the hope of glory. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Now, I have no idea what is going on in every single person's life. Even the people's lives I do know, I don't know everything that's going on. People suffer in many, many different ways. I know people will struggle with their health long-term, trying to figure out what's going to happen and how we fix that. People will struggle with their families and their relationships. That might be parent to child. That might be in a marriage. That might be child to parent. I, I know that they're suffering and just finding work extremely stressful and difficult and hard. There are, there are worries of how we're going to heat our homes, the cost of living crisis, countries going into one another, looking at our government. There are worries and the, we think of suffering all around us. And there are many, many more ways in which it is true. So how are we meant to rejoice in them? I mean, really, how are we meant to rejoice in the most difficult parts of a broken world? I think there are two ways that we're meant to rejoice and they're not easy. Some of them are hard truths, but they're better for the day-to-day life of the Christian. We can rejoice because it shapes us and because the Spirit strengthens us. We'll see these just from the verses. So let's have a look at how it shapes us. These verses are great. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. We rejoice in our suffering because of what it brings. It, the suffering produces endurance, which is kind of the, the patient endurance of a people who are going on under pressure, carrying on, and it produces this quality of character within us. Do you ever thought that until we suffer, we've never actually really been tested? Character is only made through the, the testing. We've found that our faith is authentic and true through the testing that we undergo. There are some life lessons that we would never learn 
if we didn't suffer? That's some thought, right? And the person that goes through suffering longs for glory more. That's the way that the, the logic works. We suffer to produce endurance, to produce character, to produce hope, which is weird, right? But the idea is that suffering crystallizes our idea of hope more. It forms it more within us. Because the new Christian and the person who has been a Christian for a long time and suffered both have the same certainty and assurance of hope. But is it not true that the person who has suffered longs for it with every fiber of their being where this person doesn't? They still have the same hope and suffering makes you just see more and more what it is we want. We hold on to it with every fiber of our being. There's a brilliant line that I was reading. It's, it's the temper of the veteran as opposed to that of the raw recruit. That's what suffering does. It shapes us and molds us so that we can look ahead to the hope that we have more. I'll tell you a story. As I, reading, um, I heard the story just recently. There's a guy who struggled with cancer for a long time a long time, and, and he'd been looking for different kind of ways to be healed from this. And he was a Christian man, and he was asked by his um, brother, what would you do, what would you give to be healed today? He was in his, his last weeks of life. Or how would you feel if you were healed? And he answered profoundly and said, I'd feel cheated. He was longing for that hope of being with Jesus. Suffering sharpens our focus to make us realize what it is we want. The hope that we have. It's why that you don't generally hear 15, 20, 30-year-olds saying, come Lord Jesus, come. It's always the older Christian. The person who has dealt with the brokenness of this world for longer. They say, come Lord Jesus. Suffering is to be rejoiced in because it makes us long and yearn more for that day when it will all go away. And we might look at it, and if you, if you imagine we were coming up to suffering, part of us just thinks, why does God not just take us around it or just take us over it or just help us to avoid it? And he says because it is for shaping and molding our endurance, our character, so that we can realize more and more the hope that we have. We have a foundation of peace, of grace, and we're holding on to that hope. That might just sound really harsh and hard to say, because as we, as we come in it, or you might be still in it, I think we could often look back on suffering and say, I can see how God worked in that. I can see how that happened. But you know what? Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we're still living in the brokenness and the scars of that difficult time. And it will only be when we make it to heaven we make it to the new creation with God, that we can look back and somehow say, you did that perfectly. Sometimes on this earth, we will never know why God did what he did, but we've got to trust that he knows what is best. Because as we go towards it, he doesn't just let us walk through that suffering alone. The second great part is that he strengthens us in it and walks alongside us. I read up to halfway through verse 5, but just look how it finishes. Endurance produces character, character produces hope, 
Hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In our darkest moments, we're strengthened by the Spirit. It's almost the subjective part that in God in his kindness he allows us to feel. That is not always, and so it's not to say that if you don't feel that, God is not in it. But sometimes God gives us a strength to get through it. God's kindness is making his love, making us feel the love that he has poured within us. And that is, that's happened. The Holy Spirit has come into us because we are justified, as we learned in verse 1. We are justified. We have peace. We stand in grace. We have the Spirit within us. And the idea of, like, of poured out is not just, just have a wee bit. It is the love with which God has is an overflow in strengthening us as we go through these difficult times. This is not the felt experience for the Christian that when times have been utterly, utterly dreadful, that we have just a sense of peace in it. That in our deep anxiety and worries of life, there is some sense that it's okay. We'll make it through. God shapes us and helps us long for glory and he strengthens us in all of it. So let me ask, if you are here and you are not a Christian, where is your hope? Because all of us have to go through this suffering. All of us have to go through these difficult, difficult times. And even to us who are Christians, when we think of our non-Christian friends, where are they putting their hope? Because our good news is good news that we want to share with them. We want them to know that suffering is bearable. That we can make it through. That somehow, for some reason, there is a purpose in it. The day-to-day life of the Christian is better because we can rejoice in our suffering, in the brokenness of this world. But it's not just that we can feel it, that kind of subjective thing. The last section, the last point that I've got is because of God's love for us. And that comes from verses 6 to 8. Because we can rejoice in our suffering because they somehow sharpen and crystallize our hope. It builds up our character because we know that the Lord God loves us so much. The reason we can trust God in the darkest times in our lives, that might be right now, is because of what he's done before. Do you see how the past, present, and future are all tied together? Because of the future hope we have, we can look and long for that, and that hope is certain and it is being crystallized and formed more and more. But it's all anchored in what God has done. That's Paul's logic in his argument. Do you see in verse 5 it says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Have a look at verse 8. Again, love comes up. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amazing verses, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me just read from verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. So, so how can we handle life when the bottom falls out? When, when we feel like God has completely abandoned us or we can't see why he's doing what he's doing. We carry on in hope because the God who has redeemed us by grace when we were miles away from him, miles away from his standards, suppressing the truth about him, that same God is in control now as he was in the past. And he's bought us then and he will carry us through all of these things, shaping us, molding us, and taking us home to share in his glory. The reason why we can't put our hope in our government to fix all these things we pray and hope that they do is because they've messed up before, they'll mess up, they're messing up now, and they'll mess up in the future. The reason we can trust in God is because he has done it in the past, come through true on all of his promises. He is working in us just now, shaping us and molding us and strengthening us by his spirit. And he's taking us home. Because of what he's done in the past means we can trust him in the most difficult and darkest times. This means that when we suffer, we remember what he's done. This means that when we royally mess up, and I mean mess up so bad you don't want to tell anybody. Christ died for you even in that moment, when we were at our very worst, when we were weakest, he died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we stood deserving of God's wrath, he poured out his love for us. While we were rightly accused of suppressing the truth about God, he revealed the truth in our hearts. God shows his love for us and that while we were still far from him, Christ died. To understand the context of, of these, these wonderful verses, what they're written into, it is while you are in the day-to-day grind of life, and I mean grind, the sorrow of this world, how are we able to rejoice? Because the same God who loved us and sent his son to take our punishment is in control and is shaping and strengthening us to take us home. That is why the Christian life is better day to day. It is not just because we will be with God when we die, and we just grim and bear it. Like that terrible analogy at the start, it is not just that I grin and bear and hold my eye and keep showing our BBTI player until we land. I rejoice in it. We rejoice in the deepest, darkest times because God who is good is shaping and molding us is taking us through and has saved us in the past he will one day call us home so we are to hold on more to the hope of sharing his glory I'll just finish up reading the last three verses which just kind of summarise it, verse 9 to 11 just summarise everything that we've kind of looked at before, listen to the past tense and the present tense and the future tense and, and the way that he writes, just head up, just the way that he writes it is just so that we, we get it, so we get how great this is since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God 
For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And you know what? Much more. Now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Again, more than that, we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So what marks the Christian is different. We have peace with a God who we were once warring with, who rightly, and we saw this in chapter 1, rightly was, going to, was pouring his wrath on us and one day would ultimately do that. We have peace with that God. We stand in his presence, in his grace. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in suffering. As verse 11 says, we rejoice in God. Verse um, 18 of chapter 8, this kind of sums up just what we're doing. We'll sing after this. Verse 18, a couple of chapters, we're looking at in a couple of weeks' time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amazing verse, isn't it? Why? Because God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. We can rejoice in the hope that is ahead and the suffering that we now face because of the love of God that we have known and still know. I'll pray and then we'll sing. Lord God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done for us. That as we come to church almost like a hospital of broken people who have broken lives where we struggle and wrestle through life wrestle through why you are doing what you're doing we pray that you would have taught us this morning myself included that when we suffer you are shaping us for our good you're making more clear that you are the only one in whom we can trust you're making more clear the love which you have for us. You're making more clear the hope of glory that we have. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you and love you for the Lord Jesus. And we pray this morning that we can praise and rejoice even in our suffering. In praise in your name. Amen.